It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money and I'm here with my colleague Richard Anderson from Investors Chronicle. Hello. Hello Richard. And uh, together we're going to be bringing you the weekly financial lowdown in downloadable form. Um, So Richard, what's coming up this week? We're looking at fund performance, why it pays to get your timing right when investing in a collective fund. Ethical investment, uh, the eyes of the world have all been on Burma in recent weeks, so we look at how you know if your money's been invested there. And finally, we take a look at some good news and bad news on cashback cards. All sounds very good. Thanks, Richard. And remember, you can send in your financial questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. But first, this week's money news. Now, on Thursday, the Bank of England held its base rate at 5.75%. So, Richard, uh, no surprise there, really. Absolutely now. No, I don't think anyone was expecting anything to change. The housing market is only just really starting to slow. Latest figures from Halifax show housing prices in September fell by 0.6%. I'm sure all the other market indices will show something slightly different. But um, rising interest rates are only just starting to bite there. General economic growth is still pretty strong and retail sales are also strong. So you certainly wouldn't have expected a cut. But on the other side, inflation is back within its target. And, uh, and obviously still turbulence in the credit market, so no rise. So, yeah, as, uh, as we say, everything as expected. So no need for the base rates uh, to rise, and I suppose that, you know, that should be relief to borrowers who may be fearing higher repayments on loans uh, and mortgages. But it doesn't seem to be as simple as that. It seems that even though rates have been held, some borrowing rates are still going up and some savings rates are falling. I mean, how, why is that? Yeah, it's basically just the cumulative effect of all these rates over the last few months, although they haven't risen, as we said, no one expected them to. Banks and building societies have actually started raising their rates quite dramatically, in fact, this week. Um, Obviously, just before this morning, we saw rates on on some loans rise by as much as 4%. When you're looking at a a new rate of about 10% on borrowing as little as £7,500, I mean, that's a massive hike. That's, yeah, that's huge, especially with base rates being held flat. I mean, I've also seen some figures that are showing that uh, fixed-rate savings accounts are now offering lower 
interest rates uh, than they were, even though the base rate's the same. I mean, that seems to be counterintuitive as well. It certainly does, but again, yep, it's bad news again. I mean, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about even fixed-term saving bonds of 7% plus. You're unlikely to find that anymore, even though that was only two weeks ago. Now you're looking at averages of less than 6%. So certainly I think they're going to go down even more. So if you want to get a good, uh, a good rate, you need to get in quickly. Getting quickly seems to be the, the good advice, Richard. Thanks uh, very much indeed for that. Still to come in the programme, ethical investments. How can you be sure that you're doing the right thing with your money? And we have some good news and bad news on cashback cards. Uh, But first, fund investments. Uh, Richard, you've been looking at how the timing of an investment into, say, a unit trust uh, can have quite an impact uh, on performance. And it seems that rather too many of us uh, tend to invest at the wrong time. How do we know that? Most of us, I think, uh, professional investors included, get our market timing wrong. And Morningstar, a U.S. research company, has actually just done a lot of research which, which backs up this point. They've produced something called investor returns. We normally look at total returns, which is just the return you get from one date to another. They've actually factored in inflows and outflows of cash and, and come up with some very interesting results. So I went to speak with Chris Trollson at Morningstar to find out more. So, Chris, could you just begin by explaining exactly what investor returns are? Most of us are used to seeing the stated total returns of a fund, which are what you might see in a magazine advertisement or on a fund website. And that just tells you how much money the fund has made, both in capital appreciation and in dividend payouts, over a given period. So for a three-year period, you might see 10%. The investor returns actually take a different angle and say, well, not everybody in the fund was in it for the full three-year period. Maybe they got in at the beginning or the end of year one and got out at the end of year two. And those people will have earned a different level of return. So what we're looking at is sort of the typical investor's experience over a given period. And we wait each month's return by the cash flows in or out during that month to arrive at that. And so it gives us a very good picture of whether or not the typical investor in a fund is actually earning the stated total return or something less or something more. So am I right in saying you're basically putting more emphasis on performance when there's a lot of money in the fund and and less emphasis on when there's not so much money in? That's right. The idea is to see if the fund is actually making money for a large number of shareholders. It's happened a lot, for example, in the TMT rally, which would be the classic example where investors tended to pile in in late 99 and early 2000, missed most of the upside, and then wrote it down and sold at the trough, unfortunately. And that's the kind of thing that we're, we're trying to capture with this. Right. And, I mean, all this data is for the, for the U.S., but, I mean, have you got any specific examples you can share with us of funds that perhaps the investor returns fall, fall well short of total returns? Yeah, sure. I mean, we looked at a fund in the U.S. It was an aggressive growth fund, and if you looked at its 10-year return, it, it was very much the pattern that we saw before where its 10-year total return was 15.6%, but its investor return was actually – and that's an annualized figure, by the way – but its investor return was actually over negative 1%. Wow, that's a big uh, difference. Right, and so this was a case of investors sort of very much buying in at the top of the TMT rally into an aggressive growth fund and then getting out at just the wrong time and missing the subsequent rally in 03 in TMT. Does your research show that that actually happens a lot? Yes. I mean, what we found, you know, what inspired us to undertake this was that we, we kind of knew anecdotally from investor behavior that a lot of people were not getting the returns on the, on the funds. We'd hear from them. We'd hear from advisors saying that investors weren't using funds particularly well. And what we did was we looked at it two ways. If you look at it category by category or sector by sector, the most volatile sectors tend to have the largest negative gaps. So if you look over the 10-year period, things like 
TMT, uh, the specialty technology sector in our U.S. category system, has a gap of nearly negative 10 percentage point between what the typical investor actually earned and what the stated total return is. Things like Latin America, China funds also display these kinds of gaps. So the more volatile the class of fund, the bigger the negative gap is likely to be. But also, even if you control for style and type of fund and just look at U.S. large-cap blend funds, for example, or U.S. mid-cap funds, what you can do is if you rank the funds within each sector by volatility, the most volatile funds in the sector tend to have much larger negative gaps relative to their total returns than do the least volatile funds in the sector. And so what that tells us that investors just have a hard time using volatile funds well. They tend to, you know, they get excited by the big returns on the upside and buy in too late, and they get very panicked on the downside and get out at just the wrong time. So, like the rest of us, professional managers, including market timing, they're just not very good at it. That's right. I mean, and that's something that we always try to tell people is don't invest by looking in the rearview mirror. Think about your long-term goals and risk tolerances and invest with that program in mind and keep in mind the role a fund is supposed to play in your portfolio. And to us, this is a, the investor returns are a tool that helps illustrate to investors in a very concrete way the importance of doing that because of the kind of money that bad decisions can cost them. And presumably, I mean, we're talking U.S. examples. Presumably there's no reason why there would be any difference in, in the results in the U.K. No, I wouldn't expect there to be. I mean, I, I've seen the, the flow numbers on funds here during the TMT rally. I think a, a more recent example might be the fascination with emerging markets in China. Um, property funds in the U.K. have certainly been very hot, and I think there's some question as to whether or not that's a sustainable place to be at this point in time. And presumably also there's a message here for, for fund management firms. It's not just investors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of this is down to the investor's decision and their advisors who are assisting them. But part of it is also due to the fund companies. You know, the, the fund companies who do best on this measure in the U.S. are the ones who are responsible about the funds that they come out with. That is, they come out with steadier offerings. They didn't come out with Internet funds in 1999. They aren't coming out with China funds now. They're offering good core equity and balanced offerings that are relatively easy for investors to use. The ones that rank lower on the scale are the ones that tend to do the rip from the headlines investing, where, right, property funds are gathering assets. We'll have one of those now. And China funds are gathering assets. We better come out with one of those now. And their investors tend not to do well. And by the way, that's, that's reflected in their bottom line. So if you actually look at the fund firms with the biggest negative gaps and investor returns, they've actually had outflows from their funds over the last five years or so in a rather large degree or been relatively flat, whereas the fund companies who did well, American funds, Vanguard, Fidelity, actually had very strong inflows into their funds. So it tells you that investors, they remember when they have a bad experience. And you know, it doesn't matter if it's their fault. They bought your technology fund at the wrong time. What they remember is they bought your technology fund yeah. and fared poorly. So the ultimate message is uh, avoid bandwagon funds and stick to your long-term strategy. That's right. I think that's really the best advice an individual investor can have. That was Chris Trawson of Morningstar. And for more on fund performance, in fact, an article by Richard C. This week's FT Money, out on Saturday the 6th of October. Coming up, we have that good news and bad news on cashback cards. Uh, Before that, though, ethical investments... Richard, uh, how can investors know if their ethical investments are really keeping up with world events? It's a very good question. It all depends really on who's setting the ethical agenda for, for the fund that you're investing in. Often it's, it's not the fund manager itself, but it's, it's an outside organisation that decides what's ethical, what's green, what's socially responsible and what isn't. So as an investor, you really need to know how well these screening organisations keep up with world events and, and how frequently they update investors. So we sent Elaine Moore from FT Money to talk to Andrew Wilson, Head of Investments at Tauri Law JS&P. 
Andrew, the situation in Burma has highlighted the activities of certain companies in this and other regions with poor human rights records, and ethical companies and ethical funds in particular aim to avoid such companies. But how quickly can they react to political events? Um, well, I think the unfortunate events in Burma are actually well flagged to ethical fund managers. Burma is a police state, effectively, and that is well known. Although it's been on TV screens recently, uh, to a large extent, ethical fund managers are well aware of this and have been for many years. And so I think ethical investors in those funds um, uh, would be obviously horrified to find out they had exposure to Burma, but it's highly unlikely that they'll have any. Who sets the ethical agenda for the different funds? Well, the large houses have a slightly uh, more comprehensive governance level than some of the smaller houses. There tends to be any or all of five spokes to an ethical fund. There's the fund manager himself who has his ethical brief. Uh, there is his ethical screen, which is normally an iris screen or, or something similar. Uh, the larger houses, as I say, have some extra levels such as an ethical committee or board, which will often review and approve individual stocks for the fund manager. And they also sometimes have a corporate governance team as well, which survey and engage companies as well at that level. And uh, one particularly large house, for instance, their corporate governance team is actually headed up by two environmental scientists who uh, clearly are experts in that particular field. Uh, and finally, there's a fifth spoke as well, um, which is the individual investor himself. Um, ethical investors can be quite active and do agitate for change. And some fund management houses actually appreciate and welcome this interaction. Indeed, Standard Life actually poll their clients once a year on various issues to make sure that the ethical policies of their fund have been set for their individual investors. I believe they get about a 30% response from them. And a good example of that is a few years ago, uh, they queried on animal testing. Um, their view was when it enhances the quality of human life via animal testing, does that make it a, an ethical investment um, when a company is concerned? And the answer actually came back from the investors, no, that is not an ethical investment, even though the end result may enhance the quality of human life. So sometimes there are shades of gray as well as black and white um, in these areas. And polling clients is one way to actually keep the, keep the fund on the straight and narrow. So that would be the, the fifth spoke. And uh, investors can be incredibly active and look into uh, the underlying stocks in an ethical fund as well. They get the manager's report, of course, once a year. And there was a famous case once where a stock had come through a, an iris screen, I believe, um, and actually uh, one of the investors in the fund did some research on his own and found out that actually a subsidiary company of this particular stock um, was involved in animal testing again uh, and informed the fund manager and the stock was sold immediately. So uh, um, when you get down to that kind of level, um, things in Burma actually uh, clearly are well on the, um, well on the uh, horizon. How well informed are investors kept? Well, investors, uh, they'll receive the annual fund manager report, which will have a listing of all the stocks. Um, they also, again, some of the larger um, houses will poll them uh, potentially on changes they want to make to ethical policy. Um, but they certainly get the fund manager's report anyway. So if they want to do their own work on any individual stocks, and many do, they will do so and then query back to the investment house or the fund manager. That was Andrew Wilson, Head of Investment at Tower Law, JS&P. And for more on ethical funds, read this week's FT Money out this Saturday, the 6th of October. And finally today, good news, bad news. Matthew, 
cashback cards seem like a great idea. The more you spend, the more money you get back, but uh, not necessarily the case. Yeah, that is the, the apparent good news. Uh, these are the cards that say um, you go and spend money on lots of goods and we will give you back 4% of what you spend as cashback or some are even offering 5% back on your, on your money. So it's, uh, it seems like a very valuable benefit to have with your card. The bad news, if you like, is that you could be getting a better deal on your money if you're a little bit savvier. So what do you need to do? Well, it's really very simple. Instead of going for one of these cashback cards, what you do is you apply for a 0% interest rate card, which means you can go out and spend just as much as you would uh, with a cashback card, but you're paying um, no interest on it and you're making the sort of minimum repayments. All of the money that you would have used to pay interest or pay off your bill in full, you put into a savings account, one of the ones we mentioned at the beginning of the show (laughs) that's still offering... 6% 6% or 6.4% yeah. or 6.5% because obviously getting that on your money is better than getting 4% cash back. Absolutely. Sounds like a fantastic wish. But again, got to do it quickly. Savings rates are falling. Yes, exactly. Uh, if ever there was a week to, to move quickly on savings products, uh, on borrowing products, on credit cards, on loans, it's this week. So, uh, yeah, the advice to listeners, go out and do it now. Great. Thanks, Matthew. And that's it for this week's FT Money Show. Do remember that you can email all your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.